1: Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the TateCast. My name is Davis Maddock. You guys can find me on Twitter at Davis Maddock. In this episode of the show, I am joined by my buddy, JJ Zacharyson. You might know him as the late round quarterback and we thought... You know, it is about the time of the football offseason where people who are, you know, not as degenerate as us, not, uh, you know, in these underdog best ball streets, it's about time for them to start thinking about their fantasy football draft in 2022. And JJ has a great draft guide out, the link of which you can purchase in the description of this podcast. And we kind of just went through every position, set up a game plan for drafting your fantasy football team this year. And uh, like I said, no one better than to discuss this topic topic with then jj if you like this program you can always support it by subscribing to the patreon for bonus episodes of the show you can leave a rating or review on itunes or wherever you listen to podcasts or just tell a friend about it that is always very useful and very helpful and now let's go ahead and get into the episode all right everyone welcoming jj zacharyson the late round quarterback back to the show uh multiple multiple time guests here on the Takecast. i i believe you were on the third ever episode of this program all the way back in 2017. And uh, we're, we're sitting here. It is late June. My home league with my buddies, our, our draft order is set. We're all arguing about keepers and, and you know, what should be allowed and what shouldn't. And I think we're, we're very close to when people are going to start thinking about their fantasy football draft. So what we're going to do today is we are going to go over some of the information found in the late round quarterback draft guide the 2022 edition that you can purchase on late round.com. And uh, we're going to, we're going to set you up to win your league, JJ. Let's
2: do it, man. I'm sure that, uh, that, that third episode was filled with takes that that survived well and have, have aged very well. You know, funnily enough, they probably did.
1: Pro- like, honestly, probably you go back and listen and like, cause I, I remember this was pretty big two off seasons ago, but like the death of, of late round quarterback, because. Dude.
2: Yes. Can I say something about this? Actually, can I like, yes, pseudo this? of course, what, one of the things that annoys me beyond belief, because like, I've had horrible takes, obviously, and we all have horrible takes, uh, you know, through through the last few years or so. One of the takes that I had, and I wrote about and I podcasted about was how the market was shifting, uh, and really focusing more on these mobile quarterbacks, and we were going to get better predictability. And with better predictability, it was gonna be hard to find a late round quarterback that would be you know, really, really viable. You'd probably have to draft in more of that QB nine to QB twelve range as opposed to like the wait forever. it Didn't matter. You would get a, a quarterback, or and if he didn't work, you could stream. But so I wrote about this because the the predictability aspect of things was really important, and we've now seen that shift in ADP. Uh, you know, over the last couple of years, um, where uh, the the market, if you look at top eighteen quarterbacks. And you look at the R squared between top 18 quarterbacks and how many points per game they scored the last two years, the correlation between the two, those two variables has been by far the strongest than what we've seen over the last 10 years or so because of the mobile quarterback stuff. And it was like the one thing that I was like very proud of to be ahead of with that and with that take. But because I'm tied to the late round quarterback moniker and and such uh, people have been like, adding me for the last couple of years being like, Oh, look at the late round quarterback drafting a quarterback. I've been talking about this. You should be drafting quarterbacks in the middle rounds now. So it's a totally different environment.
1: Well, and, and not only that, but the scoring distributions have changed as well because it used to sort of be, we'd have uh, you know, the Michael, the Michael Vick season obviously is, is the most famous one, but there is, there's quite a difference between the scoring that, Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen and Justin Herbert and Lamar Jackson are giving you versus what Kirk cousins and
2: Derek Carr give, even though those guys are the quarterback 12. Yeah. Well, here, here's what I'll say. If you look at the last couple of years um, and I put this in my guide, cause I think it's, it's pretty um, you know, I think it paints a good picture, but You know, a lot of people will look at like value over replacement player, or they'll look at like value over replacement starter or whatever. And you'll look at like the QB1 versus the QB12, the RB1 versus the RB24, you know, the wide receiver one versus the wide receiver 24, et cetera, and find the point difference by year to say, this guy gave you the biggest edge, you know, at wide receiver, and this is what the edge was, and compare that to quarterback and running back and whatever. If you look at quarterback, and in the guide, instead of looking at QB1 versus QB12, and just that one data point, what I do is... I tier them and I look at QB1 to QB3 numbers and I average them. And then I look at QB9 to QB12 numbers and I average them, right? So I can find sort of like this like tiered difference in Delta between these two groups. What I found was over the last couple of years, there really hasn't been that big of a distinction between how uh, the, the QB1 to QB3 and how they finished compared to the QB9 like 9 to QB12 and a lot of that is because in that QB 9 to 12 range, we've been seeing really, really good league winning hits. Like two years ago, that's where Josh Allen and Aaron Rodgers went. Uh, right. Last year was Tom Brady and Jalen Hurts. So we're still seeing really good hits from that range. What's different to your point is the next tier, which is like the QB 12 to 15 or QB 13 to 15 range, which is where you get into the Kirk Cousins, uh, you know, the Derek Cars, uh, et cetera. Those are the guys who there, there's a massive, massive drop in points. And so, Really, you could argue that, you know, in a perfect environment and a perfect uh, sort of economy within your league, um, you know, everyone, if if everyone had a top 12 quarterback just in a 12 team league, then the edge that you're getting with like a Josh Allen and Justin Herbert and stuff is not that significant because, you know, these guys like Jalen Hurts and Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers and Josh Allen are still breaking out. It's really that if you're not getting one of those guys, then you're pretty screwed like that. That's the difference in, in where sort of this environment has has moved, because back in the day, 2015, 2016, even 2019, uh, you know, you could get these late round quarterbacks past that QB 12 range and still be totally fine because they were outperforming guys who were being drafted in the top five at quarterback. But that's just not the case anymore. But I do think if you look at like this year in particular, like there are some really good quarterbacks in that QB 9 to 12 range still. I mean, the most obvious one is probably Trey Lance, Lance. a a guy who could just like, destroy beat this year's lamar jackson patrick mahomes you know those, those kinds of seasons where uh they blow up year two um you know i could see that easily with with being with, with train lines but there's still some other players sort of in that range and if you want to reach a little bit more there's still like jalen hurts and russell wilson and all those kind of guys so like i i just basically what i'm saying is i don't think it's like totally necessary to get like a josh allen type like it's still not totally necessary to get that and take that on and take on that opportunity cost
1: yeah i mean i just think that probably one of the biggest differences from when I started really playing fantasy football to now. Um, I mean, the the shift in the di- distribution of running back touches is is probably the biggest one, but also that, I mean, exactly what you said, which is that the the quarterback, like the, the quarterback 12 through like 18, those distributions were not that different from like, let's say quarterback eight to quarterback 12. Whereas, right. I mean, like I'm looking at it right now, You know, Russell Wilson is the quarterback eight or seven, depending on the software you're looking at. And his distribution is so much better than Kirk Cousins at quarterback 15. Like Kirk Cousins is drawing dead to have
2: a league winning type season, but Russell Wilson is not at all. There were legitimate years. So going back to that top 18 uh, quarterbacks through the years, if you look at top 18 quarterbacks by ADP and you compare how they scored on a points per game basis, there were legit years, 2015 and 2018 were two of them. Where there was zero correlation between top, like where quarterbacks were drafted in the top 18 and how they finished. There was one year; it was Cam Newton's uh, MVP season in 2015, where the bottom, uh, the bottom nine quarterbacks by ADP scored just as many points as the top nine did, and by and on, on a points per game basis. There was just zero correlation, zero predictiveness. We were just throwing darts at these quarterbacks, which is not the case anymore because of the rushing stuff. Right. So let's let's talk a little
1: bit about. Uh, quarterback plan of attack for this upcoming season. I, I mean, as of right now, we are recording this on June 28th. This episode's going to come out on June 29th. I think the obvious, the, the best quarterback pick on the board is Trey Lance, who is quarterback 10 or 11, depending on the software you're drafting on. Maybe Honestly, I've not done any like sleeper ESPN Yahoo type drafts. My guess is he goes even later, even cheaper there. But by the time a majority of people have been drafting, Jimmy Garoppolo will either be on a different team or they, you know, Kyle Shannon will have said Trey Lance is, is going to be our starter. So I, for this conversation, let's pretend like Trey Lance is going to be at his actual price.
2: Yeah. I mean, look, I, you know, right now, uh, you know, on like underdog and, and some of these best ball platforms, you know, you see Trey Lance still going after like Dak, um, which I, I don't mind Dak Dak is fine, sure. but I think that that Lance still has a better ceiling than Dak does from a fantasy perspective. Um, and so I'm much more inclined to sort of go that direction. Um, and, and even Tom Brady gets drafted ahead of Trey Lance often, and he's being ranked ahead of Trey Lance within like expert consensus rankings and stuff. So, to me, Trey Lance is the obvious go to late round pick this year. And then, you know, I sort of I, I viewed this last year too the same way where I think there's sort of like these tiers among the top 12 quarterbacks where you have this like, you know, elite bunch. You could you could maybe throw Josh Allen in his own tier, uh, you know, hypothetically. But, you know, I, I you have these mobile quarterbacks who um, you just have crazy high ceilings because they can throw the ball well, too. You got Kyler, you got Lamar in that group. Um, And and the way that I would approach it is tier those players up and just get the last dude in that tier while you're drafting, whether that's going to end up being Patrick Mahomes or whether that's going to end up being Jalen Hurts, whoever that ends up being, just try to get that guy because you're going to get the most value out of that group then. Uh, And then after that, like if you can get a Russell Wilson, I still think Wilson has uh, a a great ceiling. Uh, We might see even more mobility from him this season and more rushing from him this season uh, than what we've seen over the last couple of years. That would be great. And then from there it's, it's Trey Lance. But I think I think Lance, just given what we've seen the last couple of years with these like QB nine to QB twelves who have really outperformed expectation and done well. Um, I think that that Lance fits that bill more than anyone else this year. I think yeah, I mean the, the the Lance play is obvious. And if he does
1: remain the quarterback nine, 10, 11, seventh round, eighth round, as we're drafting in August and September, I would expect him to feature on. Lots of, lots of teams that end up winning their league. You know, we'll, we'll see like the, the thing with Lance is, and people hate this about fantasy football, right? People who really like football don't like the idea that Trey Lance could kind of scuffle as an NFL quarterback in terms of wins and losses, completion percentage, but, uh, if you if I, I've, I've started working on projections, they're not done or anything like that. And they talked about this on ship chasing the other day, but like getting Trey Lance under 150 rushing attempts, if you're using any sort of statistic that he's posted in his career, or even just team level rush rates of the 49ers, it's like impossible. And uh, I believe Lamar got to 196 as the most carries ever for a quarterback, I, I can, uh, I can double check that real quick. But you know, Lamar Jackson, and obviously Lamar in that season was an incredible passer, right? He led the NFL in touchdown passes uh, in that season. So Lamar got to, yeah, Lamar got to 176, which I believe is the most ever for a quarterback. And with the extra game and assuming health, I would I think Lance will probably pass that.
2: Yeah, man. I mean, I, I do think, like I said, I think that he's sort of the obvious go-to. We, all, we also have to recognize that pocket passers in today's game uh, generally have to have somewhat of an outlier season to be able to, to be super relevant. I mean, last year, Tom right. Brady was like the pocket passer that was super relevant. But if you look at his numbers, he threw the ball 730 times. And, uh, you know, obviously for, for the front half of the season when he was really torching, Uh, You know, he had the best weapons imaginable. Um, And and so, you know, you need sort of like these crazy things to happen. Matthew Stafford last year was a relatively decent, you know, low-end QB1, high-end QB2 from an ADP perspective, ended up being a QB1, uh, just in general, you know, like a lower-end QB1. Even Joe Burrow, you could throw in that same bucket. But Both of those guys, both Burrow and Matthew Stafford, had semi-outlier seasons. Joe Burrow had one of the best yards per attempt rates of all time last year, uh, and he had a a fairly high touchdown rate. Matthew Stafford had the highest touchdown rate in the NFL. The Rams scored 80% of their offensive touchdowns via – the pass, which is something that regresses year over year. He had the second most pass attempts at the goal line behind only Justin Herbert last year. So there's a lot of things that could go out of favor for a guy like Stafford that you need in favor for a pocket passer. So there's a lot of those guys, you know, I I think that if you were to like pinpoint one pocket passer, that's a QB two right now, who has the potential for those things to go in his favor, it would be Kirk cousins this season. Um, And I I say that because you're getting O'Connell coming over from the Rams who literally just just laid out a blueprint of what he did with Matthew Stafford. What if that happens with Kirk Cousins? And all of a sudden, you know, you have Kirk Cousins being able to throw it at, a, at a, the highest touchdown rate of his career, throwing the ball a lot at the goal line. They have the weapons there. The personnel is, is just as good as what Stafford was working with last year in LA. Um, so I, I think that that if there was a quintessential pocket passer that could do what Stafford did last year, would be Kirk Cousins. But if I'm in that QB two range, I'm going Justin Fields instead. I'm just going with the guy that has crazy right. rushing upside and maybe he lucks into you know, a higher touchdown rate than what we expect. And they run the ball out with them because it's really what you what you need. I mean, back in the day, man, and I referenced this in my draft guide, but like Tim Tebow had the seventh most top 12 performances in like 2011 or whatever when he started like 12 games. And, and he still had the seventh most top 12 performances because rushing matters that much. Justin Fields, Last year, the final month of the season was really good in fantasy football because they finally unleashed him a little bit more. Um, and so, if they're able to do that again this year, despite the horrific personnel they have around him, I think that he's the obvious like QB two go to candidate.
1: Yeah, uh, that that I'm I'm 100 with you. If you're if you're looking for the true diamond in the rough, it's Daniel Jones, right? Dan- yeah, baby. Uh, yeah. So that's the that's the the bet on Brian Dayball the bet on the infrastructure last season being so bad. And it was, right? I mean, Daniel Jones in his career, his head coaches have been Jason Garrett and Joe Judge. So, I I mean, Daniel Jones is probably bad, but if he is not that bad and was in the worst coaching situation ever and now has, I mean, Kadarius Toney, Kenny Galladay, Saquon Barkley healthy theoretically. This new head coach, like you, you can you can squint and and see the picture on Daniel Jones for sure.
2: I, I love Danny Dimes as a QB two three. You know, like if you're in a super flex, get him at QB three. I I still think that even in like a best ball draft, you can use him as a QB two and pair him with a, a stud. Uh, you know, if you go with like a top six or eight quarterback. But the other thing too with, with Dimes is that he last season alone, uh, he he averaged fewer than one touchdown pass per game. And he still averaged the same number of fantasy points per game as Derek Carr did, and that was all because of rushing. He averaged three fewer rushing yards than Kyler Murray last season, um, and now you know you get the, a Giants team where the last two years they've been the worst offense in football from a touchdown standpoint. Um, that generally regresses uh, favorably, and, and and now Brian Dable's over there from from the Bills, where he let Josh Allen just kind of run amok and just do his thing, and we're hoping that he just kind of lets Daniel Jones uh, just just be insane and just have zero care for his body as he runs around the field i think that it's very possible that daniel jones is sort of a high-end qb2 low low-end qb1 this year
1: yeah i think you are i think you are likely um correct about that so i guess uh you know the the tldr is lowest tier of the elite quarterbacks trey lance right now unless you're drafting once once he goes to be around five pick or whatever and then if you miss out on that group entirely due to the texture of your draft or whatever, which will happen, right? You know, we do some of these main event drafts, and it's like, uh, do we take Kyler Murray, uh, who who fell around, or do we take, um, you know, whoever, whatever, whatever wide receiver is there? You know, it we and so Justin Fields is is kind of the obvious answer, and then Daniel Jones, if you want to take a second quarterback in these leagues, a lot of the time, yeah. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's about how it goes. So a much more interesting position, I think, is running back. And uh, I don't even know if this is a hot take, but is it a hot take that Jonathan Taylor is the worst 101 of, uh, like, the last decade? He's got to be, right?
2: I don't know about worst, but I, I think that there's an argument for sure to be made. Because we, we had some seasons in there where, like, there was a, a, a legit argument with, like, four different guys who could be the 101 from a running back standpoint. But, you know, I don't mind JT. He he came out in my projections, even in full PPR as my RB1. So I can't really like like fault anyone for going that direction. I'm going in that direction. But I do think that Christian McCaffrey belongs in the same tier. And if you're ballsy slash, uh, you know, don't worry about what has happened with CMC over the last couple of years. We all know that CMC is the highest ceiling in fantasy football of any player. So it's understandable if you you know want to go in that direction instead. Yeah,
1: I mean, I I get like the the issue with Jonathan Taylor for me is that he, well, he was eight targets the final six weeks of the season or whatever. You know, it's just it's very hard for that profile of player to repeat their efficiency, right? I mean, that's like that's like your whole bit is that it's it's impossible for these guys to repeat their insane efficiency.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be hard for him to do that, but he was also just like so good that you know, and that that he's still worthy of being the one-on-one it's one of those situations where people argue all the time and they're like they're like oh why would i draft last year's rb1 when we know that rb1s don't repeat year over year well it's because you're, you're when you're drafting you're not drafting these players for them to just like finish in the exact location that you draft them in it's it's the notion of jonathan taylor right. has an incredibly nice floor that you know he's going to get fed as long as he's healthy you know the colts have a good offensive line they get a matt ryan upgrade the offense should be. Decent enough. Um, and, and you could argue that that if that they're going to throw the ball a lot more too this year, uh, just based on not just the Matt Ryan uh quote upgrade. Yeah, I think it is an upgrade, but you know, even if you want to call it a a, a, a lateral move. No, person. it's
1: it's it's an upgrade, but but hear me out. Is an upgrade at quarterback actually maybe worse for him? Because then we'll see a more even distribution of touchdowns and red zone touches. Like clearly, Frank Reich just wanted to take the ball out of Carson Wentz's hands.
2: Yeah, see, but here's the thing is that I the way that I look at this stuff is that I would have seen that happening regardless. It's already like baked into my expectation because teams that run the ball the way that the Colts ran the ball last year. I think their 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 pass rate was barely over 50 percent last year. And so teams that do that generally throw the ball more the next year, just like teams who throw the ball a whole lot like Tampa Bay. They don't throw it as much the following year. So it's already like baked into the expectation a little bit. Um, you know, going into the season. Um, and so it just depends on like where your expectation would be. but you know, I, I see it more so. We know that targets are more valuable than rushes just in general. And so if Jonathan Taylor sees a consistent target share, still sees the same type of running back rush share, still think that the volume through the air could combat some of the lack of touchdowns that he would score because he's not going to repeat the touchdown numbers more than likely. I mean, it's just just not going to necessarily happen, but um, that doesn't mean that he's not worthy of the 101 in my opinion. But, yeah, I mean, is he the worst 101 that we've seen? I mean, I'm looking at – I actually pulled up my ADP database just to, like, look, we had CMC a couple of years at 2021 and 2020. Saquon was a pretty good first overall in 2019. Todd Gurley yeah. was a, as a decent first overall, in tw- just given their profiles, right? The the yeah, last like guy, Gurley I mean,
1: caught a bunch of passes.
2: Yeah, right. I, you're right. The, the last guy that you can really point to as the 101 that was not – a huge, huge pass catcher, even though we know JT's fine as a pass catcher. Right, right. The last one who wasn't projected to see a big, big target share was AP in 2011. Sorry, AD, back in 2011. Uh, Because we had like Le'Veon Bell, we had Lashawn McCoy, uh, or I guess Adrian Peterson was also 2013. So those two years. So yeah, you have to go back a pretty big, uh, a, a, a number of years in order to see sort of a running back that profiles like JT. But I think that, JT is basically like this era's Adrian Peterson, right? Like it's the same sort of dynamic. He's a better back pass catcher than, than Peterson was, but it's sort of like the same type of archetype that you're getting. Yeah. And the
1: market has really set up this year to, uh, you know, it's kind of funny how we get in these feedback loops because one of the, the big talking points in fantasy football in years past has obviously been the running back dead zone. And now the only running backs available in the dead zone are like total dust balls, like guys you don't want. Whereas the yeah. so it's like first two rounds, it's set up pretty much every running back you can take. You're largely going to like, and then it shifts to, uh you know, wanting wide receivers and tight ends. Like running backs going in the dead zone are like, you're, well – just big risk assets right so like alvin kamara nick chubb javante williams and then connor i'm like i'm drafting him because it's it's obvious how it can work out but if james connor uh is bad or has a big decline in efficiency i'm gonna be like well yeah obviously <laughs> right, it's like not surprising. it's yeah. not surprising and then it's and then it's guys that i don't have it like not interested in Zeke do like ETN, but he is getting priced up quite a good bit. He started out the off season as a fifth round pick. He's up to the third round and then Brees Hall fine. You know, clearly has a lot of upside. It's it's very dependent on what, if that offense ends up being good. Like if Zach Wilson with these rookie wide receivers, young wide receivers takes a step forward, but what's kind of, what's kind of the, the lay of the land at running back for you.
2: Yeah, I mean, historically, and I have a chart in my guide where I look at the run, the running back dead zone, and and this is all based on like these charts that I put together for the guide, but it really came down to with the ADP data that I was working off of, it really came down to about pick 30 to pick 72. So the middle of the third round, all the way until you get to the end of the sixth round, because once you get to the seventh round, the seventh round hit rates at running back were actually better historically than the hit rates you've seen in rounds four through six over the last 10 years. So seventh round running backs were better than rounds four through six running backs in terms of hitting a ceiling, not a floor, but a ceiling. And so um, the running back does I defined as in, in the guide as, as pick 30 to, to pick 72. Um, and if you, if you sort of overlay how running backs performed at, at the front half of the, the fourth round and the back half of the fourth round, the front half of the fifth round, et cetera, and you overlay how wide receivers performed, wide receivers perform better at every single level uh, than, than running backs do. Uh, historically, it's just a really, really good, good area to get wide receivers instead of running backs. Um, I will say that there are some ways to beat the running back dead zone. I did a quick little study on this on the late round podcast. And it's also in the draft guide, but uh, you know, if you find running backs who are young, year one or two guys, you rookie rookies in the dead zone actually do very, very well. And this is the one reason why I'm still okay with getting Brees Hall their, right. their hit their hit rates in terms of exceeding ADP expectation uh by three or more points is actually better um than uh, the 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 average overall throughout a draft, uh rookie running backs from the dead zone. And then if they're pass catchers, it's also very good. There's a very disproportionate amount of of touches that go through the air than on the ground for running backs who have been successful out of the dead zone. And so that's why the two running backs that I'm totally cool with still are Brees Hall and Travis Etienne. I'm, I'm totally fine with drafting either of those guys um, because really at the end of the day, the dead zone is there in my opinion, and it exists because, you know, there's only 10 to 12 projectable bell cows every single season in a fantasy league. And once you get into I, that, I think, I think less than that this year, sure, I, didn't it, sure. I think not yeah, get it. I mean, you
1: could, yeah. Yeah. You
2: could argue. Yeah. You could argue that there's like eight to 10 or whatever. But regardless, that really takes you to about the middle of the third round, right? Just in terms of like running backs, you feel good about just historically. I'm not just saying even this season takes you to like the middle of the third round um, where things start to get like really dicey uh, just in terms of projectable workload. But everyone freaks out when they don't get a running back or they don't have a running back because we all need running backs in fantasy football. So they start taking inferior talents, right? So they're taking these like these guys like Josh Jacobs through the years who are fine and they can hit that ADP expectation but very rarely do they like far exceed that expectation um and so what you find is it's just this group of running backs who don't perform all that well and it's being driven by volume and it's being driven by not necessarily talent whereas younger players in the dead zone like a Brees Hall the reason Brees Hall is in the dead zone right now is because we just don't know we don't know if Brees Hall is good or not whereas if he were to be a you know, if we knew exactly if we knew exactly what his workload was going to look like and all of that, then he would be drafted where Najee Harris was drafted last year in the second round, right? But he's being drafted right. in the fourth because we just don't know what his workload's going to look like, all of that. But we know that he's very talented. We know that he's very good, and and so that's a signal that we probably should still be drafting Travis Etienne. It's the same deal. If Etienne wasn't coming off this injury, you know, James Robinson uh, has the Achilles injury. Travis Etienne has this backfield to himself to start the season. You know, he might not be like a twenty-plus carry back, but he can still see fifteen-plus carries without James Robinson there. Plus, maybe a fifteen percent target share. He'd be drafted in the second round most years. It's just that he's coming off that injury, and that's why his cost is where it's at. Uh, but he's talented, right? Like he's good. So, just attract yourself to the talent as opposed to just buying into the volume, like Ezekiel Elliott. Yeah, so
1: I'm not. I'm not going to do this bit because I, I've ridden. I've ridden this rodeo before. But um, I I think probably the most impactful thing from your research that has impacted my drafting has been your research on uncertain backfields, which is, it's very simple, right? The thesis is the market throws up their hands and they say, we don't know who the best backfield, the best fantasy producer in this backfield is going to be, and we're not going to take a stand on them, so they're both going to go late. Uh, and and we had all time historical examples of that in 2021 with Leonard Fournette coming out of the Buccaneers backfield and James Connor uh, really benefiting with Chase Edmonds being injured, but honestly was on pace to smash his ADP anyways with the touchdown production. And there are a couple backfields uh, that I see league winners coming out of this year, but uh, I'm gonna let you do the one because I can't I can't do this anymore with the Kansas City Chiefs.
2: Yeah, well, so here's the thing. If you look at historical ADP, uh, overall, team RB1s do better than team RB2s. So what I'm saying here is, uh, you know, the running back, the first one being drafted from their team. So this year you have Miles Sanders, for instance. Miles Sanders is the RB1 from the Eagles because he has an ADP that's highest on the Eagles at the running back position, whereas Kenneth Gainwell is the team's RB2 by ADP. Oftentimes we'll get running backs in the middle rounds together, so round six through nine is how I define it, uh, we'll get them in the middle rounds together. Uh, and usually the RB1 has, just given the data that I work off of, has done fairly well. Last year, it was Leonard Fournette. And then you look at James Conner and you say, well, he wasn't the RB1. He wasn't. J- uh, Chase Edmonds was drafted ahead of James Conner. What happened with James Conner is not super typical, but upon reflection, uh, the ADP source that I use, Chase Edmonds actually ended up being a fifth round pick. So he was actually out of the quote middle rounds. Uh, with the way that I'm analyzing this stuff. So James Conner ended up being a middle round pick RB2 who had a teammate going in the in the running back dead zone. And actually those running backs, there's, there's two subsets of running backs you should heavily target. Maybe three, if you want to just generalize and say, get RB1s, team RB1s in the middle rounds, attack those players, uh, especially if they have a teammate that's also going with them, that there's a, a true gap that's measurable between that RB1 and RB2. But also RB2s who have teammates that are going in the dead zone, they hit at a very, very good rate as well. And I think the reason for that is what I just talked about before, where these running back dead zone running backs are only being drafted as high as they're being drafted, not because of talent, but because of volume and because of supply and demand. And then we're sitting there and we're saying, hey, look, there's a teammate of this guy who's being drafted in the middle round still, despite having another running back teammate being drafted in the dead zone. Maybe it's because this middle round running back is good. This RB2 is good. So, like, look back at, like, Austin Eckler's breakout when Melvin Gordon was being drafted in the dead zone to yeah. Ray Cohen when Jordan Howard was being drafted in the dead zone. You usually get these, like, pass-catching running backs, uh, these RB2s when these running backs are being drafted in the dead zone. Perfect example this year, Tony Pollard. Tony Pollard yeah, is the great example quintessential RB2 with an RB1 in the dead zone breakout type of, type of example. You can also go the RB1 route. And just target these RB1s, whether you want to get Miles Sanders. I still think uh, Kenneth Gainwell is a good late-round pick, too. But you you can get a guy like Miles Sanders. But uh, Clyde Edwards-Alaire does check a lot of boxes. Like, objectively, he checks a lot of boxes. And if you want to – you know, the nice part is the opportunity cost is actually slipping because people are not drafting CEHSI because of the Jarek McKinnon signing right now. But The, the the nice part with CEH is that you can at least latch on to that whole storyline about his gallbladder this past or the last off season and stuff and say like, what if right. this is why, you know, what, what if this is why he wasn't very explosive and good? We know that he's not the most explosive back in the world, but his numbers, his explosion numbers did get a lot worse from year one to year two. His target share numbers per game got a lot worse from year one to year two. Everything got worse from year one to year two. Um, but it's not hard to envision a scenario where the lead back on a Patrick Mahomes offense exceeds adp at a pretty pretty decent clip um you know he he really to me fits the mold best of like who is this year's james connor leonard fournette type breakout um you know I, i'm not saying that like to go like super super we know it can go south i'm just saying that from like a checking the box standpoint um part of the reason why ceh i think is being drafted where he's being drafted is because so many people have been burned by him right like that's is what it comes down to. So, oh, a hundred
1: percent. I mean, I mean th- there's so much emotion involved in this. Yeah. Like, if you just if you look at it objectively, you're like, okay, here's this guy. He at least profiles as a guy who's capable of catching passes. You know, I mean, that's what he did in college. He has not demonstrated that skill as well in the NFL, but he has done it. For example, yeah. there was a game against the Eagles last year. You know, he had like 150 combo yards and scored twice. Like, he's he's not good but he's not like horrible. And like, that's all like, neither is like
2: Leonard Fournette or James Conner. Like these, these are just, they're, they're, they're just guys. The the thing that annoys me with the CEH stuff is that people in hindsight act like CEH is this horrific running back. Like, like that he was this horrific prospect. Like, yeah. Should he have gone ahead of Jonathan Taylor and DeAndre Swift in that class? Probably not. Uh, No. I mean, I think we can most definitely say that now, but it's not like CEH was coming out of school. as this like, really untalented back people were just saying he shouldn't have been drafted ahead of a guy like Jonathan Taylor who on paper looked like an absolute maniac right um and and I think that just because of these like expectations and like how things kind of have gone down with him people are just really really turned off but if we if we sort of like remove that bias I think that he'd probably be like a at least like a sixth round pick right now right like around that range, like like in that like Antonio Gibson josh jacobs sort of range but he goes a round or two after them in in most drafts yeah so who are your like well let's talk a little bit about zero
1: rb so zero rb very simple uh it, it takes advantage of the fragility of the position you are more apt to find weekly fill-ins at running back than you are at wide receiver right saquon barkley misses a week with an ankle sprain you pick up matt Breida. James Conner misses three weeks, you pick up, Eno Benjamin or Keontae Ingram or Daryl Williams or whoever we see these cascading injuries. I mean, once a year, you'll get to a team where, I mean, the Ravens last year, right? Like they were, they were running out Latavius Murray and Tyson Williams and Le'Veon Bell. Like it, it is just a fact of life. Uh, I think that zero RB teams have a, a much more difficult time generating huge scores and best ball for a very obvious reason. You cannot take advantage of the waiver wire. Uh, however, my, my guiding philosophy, especially in high stakes leagues, FFPC main event, but this works for 12 team home leagues too, which is that, uh, having a great running back too is obviously a huge advantage, but it's kind of the least important position because of how, uh, how replaceable that is. If you are a good waiver wire manager.
2: Yeah, I mean, really, the, the, my go-to strategy for years and years has always been hero RB, anchor RB, whatever the heck you want to call it. Uh, you know, there, there's a lot of names for it now. But the reason for it is because uh, you know you're only going to get one or two picks in these, or I guess two picks. Let's say you're only going to get two picks where these like truly stud running backs are being drafted in your fantasy draft. And if you opt to go with a wide receiver with one of those picks. Then, which is fine because the wide receiver hit rates in the first two rounds are out of control, especially the first round, we're out of control historically. So like, if you want to go with a wide receiver there, then that means you're, you know, your alternative is most likely if you're not getting like a, an elite tight end, then it's most likely a running back. Um, And then there's this huge gap in the running back dead zone where you generally don't want to draft running backs. And then you hit, you know, this like round seven plus range where you start to draft running backs again, which plays into, you know, anchor RB, get that stud running back. RB2 is generally replaceable. Hopefully you can hit on one of them late, uh, late or, you know, late-ish slash on the waiver wire or whatever. That's fine. Um, I, I really like a lot of the uh, the sort of rookie running backs this year um, that are in these, like these spots where, you know, one, the obvious one who, who could be the RB one on his team is Damian Pierce. I actually, I think yeah. that he's a, a decent value overall, especially on like from like he's, he's less of a value in best ball drafts right now than he is, when you look at like consensus rankings, like consensus rankings have Damian Pierce only in like four spots ahead of Marlon Mack, which is fine. But I think that your, your plan should be to get Marlon Mack in these best ball drafts where he's like free. And then in your home leagues, you can get a lot of Damian Pierce uh, because he's, he's, you know, the, the cost is not that significantly different compared to a guy like Marlon Mack, but he has an opportunity to just take a lot of his backfield and just be that dude. Um, and then there's other guys. Like I didn't like Isaiah Spiller that much as a prospect coming out because of what he did, um with his pro day and at the combine uh but he's in a really interesting spot with austin eckler there where he's probably going to see you know the chargers have been trying to fill this rb two void for years they just haven't been able to do it because everyone that they've they've see uh, that's the reason
1: that's the reason i don't like him because i just assume whoever they whoever the next justin (laughs) jackson josh kelly uh kaylin balage oh who's the other guy uh i mean they've literally had like seven guys in this role with austin yeah they've they've all stunk
2: They've tried to fill it, but I, you know, it, it, there's, there's a lot of, I, I would argue strongly that Spiller um, is a better prospect than the majority of the guys that they try to fill it with. I did well, like, he
1: Justin was, a lot, he was, he was good. Uh, he, he was, he was pretty good at Texas A&M.
2: Yeah. It's just that, you know, my model in particular, like he, he just missed that 90 threshold for speed score, which really, really knocks a player down in my model. So my model didn't like him nearly as much as I probably do more subjectively. Um, I, And I think he's just a great like redraft pick. Like, you don't have to invest in dynasty. You know, there's no long term play there then. Uh, so if you want to just throw that dart and redraft and see if Austin Eckler, you know, number one, Spiller could just be a flex in general, just seeing work week to week. But number two, if something happens uh, to Austin Eckler, now you have the RB one on a team that is going to be the most high powered team or one of the most high powered offenses in football. So I like going that direction, too. Um, and then it's like some of the other rookie running backs, like I don't mind Tyler Algier. I liked him as a prospect more than the consensus did, though. So take that with a grain of salt. Um, you know, if you want to really uh, play into, he's more of a handcuff than anything else. But Khalil Herbert's pretty interesting, I think. Uh, you know, in Chicago, I don't mind Ty Davis Price as a dart throw either. You know. Looking back, at, I actually when I was researching the oh he's he's the best pick on the board. Tyrion Davis Price is probably yeah, so my
1: favorite pick on the board.
2: You want to know something crazy? Did you know this? I, I I didn't know this when I was researching it, but since Kyle Shanahan became head coach of the 49ers, they've, they've had, had a different, different lead rusher yeah, every year. Different lead rusher all five year. years. Yeah, every single year, you, different lead rusher. If you go back to Atlanta,
1: uh it, it flip-flopped around to The Freeman repeated twice. And that was yeah. it. So, so I could Shan- see. I mean, I'm
2: sure. I'm sure it was pretty similar in Washington too, because it's not like Alfred Morris was like the dude forever there, you know. Um, and so, yeah. I mean, it, it's definitely a player who I didn't really care for as a prospect. Didn't have great production in college, but I don't think you need to care about that that much when it comes to San Francisco. You just got to throw darts at that backfield because there's so much. I, I, Trey ambiguity. Sermon. Trey Sermon was a
1: seventh round pick last season, and he went with the exact same pick the 49ers last pick of the third round the year before and that was the pick they used on Tyrion davis price
2: yeah and i'm not saying anything you know i'm not drafting a ton of elijah mitchell because he's in the dead zone he's not a pass catcher those are the things that i just don't really want to invest heavily in but i don't mind i I go back and
1: i go back and forth on him because on one hand i'm like dead zone shanahan whatever and then on the other hand i'm like if this dude played on any other team, if this dude was a Raven, if this dude was a Cowboy, like, you know, just pick a random team and Kyle Shanahan wasn't his coach, he would be a early third round pick.
2: Yeah. I mean, potentially. Yeah. Uh, and then the one guy who I feel like I, I, I've talked about him on like podcasts, I've put him in my newsletter and stuff that I don't think is getting enough love is Brian Robinson. The other, another rookie that I, yeah. I don't think is just being talked about enough. He was a, a true like workhorse in his final year at Alabama, but even in at Alabama throughout his time, his five years there, he's playing behind legit studs, right? So he's playing behind Najee Harris, Josh Jacobs, Damian Harris. And, you know, he still got work in there as he, as he was in that offense, he just wasn't the lead back there. Um, But there's more and more talk about them not using Antonio Gibson as a bell cow. And, you know, Antonio Gibson has not been able to stay healthy either. So I think Brian Robinson is at least a little bit intriguing, more of, Probably more of a, he's been more of like a best ball target for me. Cause I don't know if you're going to get the predictability. He's going to, he's going to be like a waiver wire type guy. Yeah. I don't, yeah. But yeah. you'll be able to get, I, I think he's going to still have some spiked weeks in there this year. Um.
1: So my, my, uh my, you know, we do these radio spots and you go on other people's shows and something And I always ask you like, you know, who's going to be the guy, who's going to be the Fournette Connor this year. I mean, I think Pollard is probably the best answer, but he is uh like, if you're drafting with sharp people, you were going to have to pay for him. Uh, like, like when, like we're going to do a main event together, I, I hope for the first time you were, you're going to be in with us and like, he's going to go in the seventh round of our, of our main event. My, my answer is Ramondre Stevenson because one, I think he's pretty good. So I just kind of like betting on that anyways, but, but there's a million reasons why it won't happen. Right. You look at it and you're like, is he going to play passing downs and James White is there and Damian Harris is going to hold all the goal line work. And they have drafted Pierce Strong and Kevin Harrison. Oh, Ty Montgomery's actually there. And there, you know, so many ways that it can happen. And my my thing is like, yeah, that that's why he's so cheap. That's why a guy who was that efficient as a rookie rusher on an offense that was way better than people expected. They were the seventh offense in DVOA total. And then if you take out that uh Buffalo game where they threw three times, they were the third offense in DVOA. So it's just, it's, it's, it's a way that, like people's biases are way overriding the
2: cost on
1: him. In my opinion.
2: What I'm assuming, do you still, do you, do you have him ranked straight up ahead of Damian Harris? Are you still yes. Harris? Ranked yes. No, no, I, I would not. I
1: obviously when I'm drafting, cause I'm doing like 300 drafts, I'm not going to take that big. Now, if I was doing, if, if I was doing one league, right. One 12 team league or whatever, I would take Ramondre over Damian, but obviously, you know, I'm doing so many drafts. Like you you can't. you
2: you can't go against the market like that so often, or you're just going to get owned, but yeah, I've had a hard time with that situation in general because, you know, Harris had worse splits, obviously when Stevenson was active, he's not a pass catcher, all of that. I mean, there's so many reasons to just not be into Damian Harris, you know, there's touchdown regression coming and all that kind of stuff. Um, But like straight up, it might be tough for me to go. The the guy,
1: the guy has no games with more than two receptions in his three-year NFL career. Oh, yeah. I mean,
2: like like Bill Belichick running backs over the last decade have never had – I can't remember what the thresholds I looked at were, but a 4% target share and, like, a 45% running back rush share when, like, 24 running backs hit that last year alone. They just don't typically feature them. But if Stevenson is a guy who – like, I like Stevenson coming out because we very rarely get these big dudes who can catch passes. And Stevenson had that profile and skill set coming out of college um, so I was into him coming out uh, and I, I, I do think that if there's a guy in that backfield who has the ceiling, it's absolutely him.
1: So I was, I was telling this, to, I can't remember if I was saying this to Corain or to buy for the other day, but the, the comparable role in this backfield would be the Rex Burkhead year in 2017, where he got a bunch of goal line carries and also led the back. Well, James, I I'm kind of treating James White like a non-factor in this because right. You have to, if James White is fully healthy, ready to go James White, then honestly, he is probably going to be the guy in the Patriots backfield that you wanted to draft at cost. But that, that 2017 Burkhead season, he had 64 carries and 36 targets in 10 games. Yeah. That, that is the role, right. Except, except you, you tilt it a little bit more. You give Ramondre like, let's say 140 carries and 55 targets with the goal line work and an offense that we expect to be decent ish like that. That's kind of what I'm envisioning.
2: Yeah. I mean, I can at least tell you, I've drafted way more Stevenson than Harris this year. So I, I understand the the Stevenson love for sure.
1: Yeah. Uh, all right. What's, what's your answer? What's your answer for, for Lee or, or maybe not even league winner, but your, your answer for this year's Leonard Fournette, James Conner.
2: Yeah, I mean, I mentioned Clyde Edwards-Alaire earlier. I think that he, like, at least checks the boxes with what you would look for that. And then, uh, you know, Tony Pollard is is pretty interesting. And then another guy who, I, you know, I'm just drafting both players in this backfield because I think it's an intriguing situation uh, and backfield. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if Miles Sanders is that guy either. Um, you know, he's yeah. he's set up very, very well. People have been burned by him. It's just another situation where, like, there's at least some talent there, but people just don't want to really – go all in on the guy because he's burned them so, so often, but he's also burned them from the, from the dead zone from the early rounds and not this mid round range. Uh, But I I really like Kenneth Gainwell too. So I'm, I'm throwing darts at both of the, you know, if you're in multiple leagues, I would, I would just try to, um, you know, pick off both of these guys because Gainwell had a really underrated rookie season. He had a lot of volume through the air that we don't typically see from running backs. His year two score. I have a year two model that looks at how players are going to do in years two and three of their NFL career. He scored really well there. Um, so I really still like Gainwell, but I, I think that you can look at Miles Sanders and say, okay, I can see a scenario where he really blows up this year, too. Yeah. All right, wide receivers, uh, just, just draft like four rookies and
1: then log out. There you yeah, go. Yeah, man, that's all you got to yeah. do.
2: I'm all about I'm all about some rookie wideouts. I uh, I did a a quick like look and study. Uh, you know, on the late round podcast and in my newsletter and stuff, and basically found that, um, you know, rookie wide receivers that are top 100 picks by ADP. So we're talking like studs, right? Like when we talk like top 100 picks in like a dynasty startup, it's totally different because you're getting rookies that were drafted on day two, you know, in those, in those top 100 picks, like Sky Moore, et cetera. Um, But in, in redraft, and I'm not even talking about best ball, best ball skewed a little bit because it's a little bit sharper, but historically, Uh, top 100 rookie wide receiver picks. There haven't been that many of them, uh, but they're like the studs of the studs. They're like Mike Evans and AJ Green. And this year it's going to be Drake London, maybe, maybe Traylon Burks, you know, in in your, in your home leagues and stuff going in the top 100. Um, You know, maybe we see Chris Alave end up being in there, but basically whoever's in the top 100, they not only exceed expectation at a really, really high rate, but their second half numbers are way better than their front half numbers, which makes sense because it takes time for these rookie wide receivers to get acclimated to the league and stuff. Their second half numbers are better. So they're going to be even better during the most important part of your, of your fantasy season. And then if you look at why rookie wide receivers that were drafted between picks 100 and 150. Uh, we see a massive, massive jump in points per game from the front half of the season to the back half of the season, because these are guys that are probably day two picks. You know, their teams aren't necessarily throwing them on the field right away to start the season. So they're not doing that well. And then boom, they just take off because they're starting to get a little bit more uh, work in their offense. Um, So definitely target those guys as well, because we're seeing, we, we see them just exceed expectation at this like absurdly good rate. So I, I love Drake London this year. Like I, I'm getting Drake London in a ton of spots. Um, you know, I, I understand the quarterback situation isn't great, but he's, he's really fits the mold of like what we've seen historically from these rookie wideouts that have, have really exceeded expectation. Mike Evans probably being the best example, uh, you know, of that historically. So if Drake London is as good as advertised, which my model thinks so, you know, obviously the NFL draft thought so, him going eighth overall, uh, I think he's in a very, very good spot.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I mean, I think we should talk a little bit about like the base case, why this is, because this is something I've been thinking about, which is, I don't actually think that all of a sudden rookie wide receivers just got better. That might be part of it. It could, like, it could be right. Like college football is a little bit more competitive. Um, These guys are, are just playing a lot younger, like serious football, like seven on seven and, and high school football is like, you know, it's also its own crazy business, but also, uh, like rookie wide receivers even first round picks or whatever used to kind of have to bide their time like they like uh like justin jefferson playing uh two games behind uh olibisi johnson would have been like 10 games five years ago you know it's just like even even these i, I mean and we see this with rookie quarterbacks too like it used to be the norm that you would take a quarterback in the first round and they would sit for a year and now that's flip-flopped right because and, and which i think is like uh, an analytics thing of, like, you're wasting this guy's rookie contract.
2: Yeah, I think it's it's probably a little bit of that. And also, you know, my analysis is looking at these guys versus expectations. So it's all relative to where they're being drafted. And so if these guys, if these rookies start seeing higher ADPs, which some of them might, but I still don't see a scenario, even in, like, these sharper drafts, like, even in, like, high-stakes leagues or, you know, underdog, like, higher-stakes underdog drafts and such, uh, these, like, Drake London's still going – like confidently in the middle rounds and the reason for that i I don't think his adp is like that out of control or anything uh you know and he's like this like obvious obvious value by adp it's because there's a lot of good wide receivers also around there and we just happen to be colliding this rookie draft class with a rookie class from last year that was also really good and historically if you look at the middle rounds year two players in the middle rounds no no subset no demographic has a better hit rate in the middle rounds than year two wide receivers, especially year two wide receivers who are the wide receiver ones on their own team. So Elijah Moore, and we have a ton of them this year, right? Elijah Moore, Ross, St. Brown. um, You know, I'm definitely not thinking of someone here. Uh, Rashad Bateman. uh, You know, there's a lot of these, like these really super solid talents um, that are, that are great targets in those middle rounds. You still should be probably drafting over Drake London. So I think that's playing a little role in it too. Um, that that I don't think, like, Drake London and some of these rookie wideouts are going to see, like, that absurd of an increase in ADP because of the competition at the position.
1: Yeah, and, and also, you know, uh, another big reason that these wide receivers uh, end up correlating so well with winning your league is – their their production will a lot of these guys not not, not all of them I think AJ Brown had hundred yards in his first game um, but a lot of these guys will start slowly right they'll right. They'll, they'll be part time players they'll be hanging out there and then week ten fantasy football playoffs you have you know they, full, they they ball out it's 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 so simplistic but it's just very real that's just that's just how it yeah. works yeah yeah uh, all right let's what what are some of the who are some of the specific guys that you are in love with at cost
2: right now. A wide receiver. Um, yeah. You know, like I said, I'm going after a lot of those wide receiver two, or sorry, the year two wide receivers that are the wide receiver ones in their offenses. So I, I like, you know, even if their projections don't come out looking as good as you want them to look, like Amon Ross St. Brown, maybe his projection looks like at cost, maybe there's not a lot of room for growth in your eyes, but you know, he's still someone that if you just look historically at how these players perform, you still should be throwing darts at a player like that. So like um, Amon Ross St. Brown, Elijah Moore, love Rashad Bateman. I think Bateman's an obvious go-to, you know, compared to. Tony, the, Tony is like the biggest smash on the board Tony, right Tony now. is, Tony is my number one. Tony is my highest rostered player right now. And he's my, my favorite, favorite wide receiver value. For all the reasons we talked about with the Giants offense already. Uh, Tony also had an absurd yards per route run rate last year. Um, and, and yards and, and target per route run rate was out of control is really with just elite company. Um, you know, I, I think that you just got to buy into what if this guy is, is, is really good. Um, so Tony is someone who, who I have, uh, you know, all over the place. And then I'm throwing darts at like, like the, the Denver offense. Like what if, you know, if you ask these questions, like what if we're wrong about, um, you know, uh, Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy and their target share projections? Why not just throw some darts at Tim Patrick and KJ Hamler late? Um, so I'm going after guys like that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the, the the middle in the middle rounds, I'm really just going after these these wide receiver two or sorry again, team team wide receiver ones who are in year two of their careers because their hit rates are almost like double of what we've seen from the general population in the middle rounds.
1: Yeah, also, I think this is a uh, hard for people who are not like mega nerds to think about but you you want to be drafting more really good wide receivers than you have starting wide receiver spots. This is something, yeah. like, I, I see people make this mistake when they first start playing fantasy football. I see people make this mistake in the Scott Fishbowl. I see people make this mistake in the FFPC main event. This is something that Sean Siegel is really good talking about and your draft guide is going to touch on as well, which is, like, you just want to have as many super stud wide receivers as possible. So even if you take t higgins in round two and uh aj brown in round three and you get bateman and you get amon ross st brown you still want to take a shot at tony there in round nine and you still want to take a shot on josh palmer in round 13 like you ideally you would have six top 20 wide receivers is kind of like the the goal
2: yeah and i i also think you know to this whole wide receiver discussion I have found of all the positions, um, you know, if you're doing best ball drafts and stuff and you're uh, the, the, the ADP with those drafts are pretty drastically different than what you're going to see in your home leagues. I think a lot of it is driven by stacking, right? So uh, you know, a lot of these guys like Gabriel Davis is a perfect example where his ADP is pretty high in these best ball drafts, but a lot of it is is Josh Allen managers just reaching to get a stack and to get Gabe Davis. But if you look over on like fantasy pros or something and look at the expert consensus rankings, he's way lower. Like he, in your home league, Gabe Davis is going to be a great pick. Like he's a great pick in your home league, but in a, he's a a great great pick in the fourth round.
1: Anyways, I've I've been, I've been, I've been, I've been telling people my, my thing is that like if, if Gabe Davis's ADP doesn't make sense to you, that you got to play a different game. Like be yeah, like you're I mean, really like, good at chess or something.
2: So so like I, I think that where he goes is fine. I have no I've gotten him. So I'm not saying, you know, I'm not like disagreeing with that at all. My point is mostly that he's going to be a, a monster value in home leagues because you, people yes. are not worried about stacking and people don't understand the, the Davis situation very well and stuff. People also just like generally overstate the opportunity cost of like mid-round picks and like like if your fifth-round pick doesn't pan out, it doesn't matter. It's it's fine. I mean, this is the, the I I always bring this up every year
1: in the off season when we're doing these primer type shows, which I I tell people you know pull up your sleeper app, pull up your ESPN app or whatever, look at the team you drafted and then look at the team you started. In the last yeah. round of the playoffs, and look at how many. Look at the overlap. Like chances are, you've kept like maybe five players all year, maybe. Yeah,
2: yeah, and and like th- this is the dilemma that people have all the time, and they're like, "How oh, is Gabriel Davis going at wide receiver twenty-five in redraft, but he's wide receiver forty-three in dynasty or whatever?" Well, there's a different cost of acquisition there, right? The cost acquisition in a dynasty league is you got to hope that Gabriel Davis does actually pan out. Whereas if he doesn't pan out in redraft, you're still fine. Whereas if you're actually paying like a future first. To well, get he Davis should, he dynasty, should
1: be way higher
2: than that in dynasty. I would, I would pay a future first for Gabe Davis, I think. Right. Well, I'm just, I'm just bringing up the example of, I don't yeah. have a strong enough Gabe Davis <laughs> dynasty take. I have a strong enough redraft take that you should be getting him. But like, like my point is that the, the, you have to always keep the cost of investment top of mind with this stuff. And once you get into like round five, round six and such, uh, the opportunity cost is not that significant. You can really shoot for the stars. Yeah. Um. Favorite,
1: favorite wide receiver pick on the board before we do, before we do t- Tony, it's got, it's, it's Tony.
2: Yeah. I think Tony's probably it. Cause I, I mean, I'm, I'll just go by what my, uh, what he, he
1: just, he exposure. checks, he
2: checks every box. Like the offense should be better. First round pick second year, wide receiver. wide receiver it. One. Yeah. Wide flat. receiver one from his team. Yeah. Uh, there, there's that. And then I also, I, I'm buying more and more into Russell Gage too, but I think everyone's kind of doing that. Yeah, I'm not really, because I
1: think they're going to sign Julio Jones. But even if if Russell Gage is why I don't win in fantasy football this year, uh, it's like it's like the same thing. It's like it's like, uh, you know, maybe I'm one of the people that should be playing chess instead because I don't get Russell Gage's ADP.
2: Yeah, I think it's. I mean, it really just comes down to the fact that I don't think Chris Godwin's going to play until like November. Right. Yeah. That's it.
1: Uh, tight ends. Draft an elite guy or log out is it like yeah. it's it, every year it's like tight end six through twelve are like the worst picks on the board so it's, like, it's so bad.
2: Yeah, it's really obvious this year too. Like when when that sort of like starts, it's like that Dalton Schultz range and like the like I don't mind Schultz as much, but once you like I will never understand T.J. Hawkinson. I'm never going to understand T.J. Hawkinson. I don't understand why the Amon Ross St. Brown breakout happens last year and everyone says oh it's because T.J. Hawkinson's been out. Why are we giving TJ Hawkinson the benefit of the doubt that TJ is going to be better than Amon Ross, St. Brown at commanding targets when he's back, or what better T.J. than DJ Sharp, or
1: better, or better than DeAndre Swift, or better than Jamison Williams when he yeah, gets like, back? Like,
2: in what world do you want the Detroit Lions' offense to run through a running back and a tight end through the air? Like, it doesn't make any sense. Why would you not want to go through uh, one of the one of the better rookie wide receivers that we've seen over the last decade? Um, and so. Yeah. Like the, like that whole, you know, it's another tight end dead zone is the middle rounds. Like I don't understand Pat Moose ADP. I don't know. I don't really understand Dawson Knox's ADP. Um, you know, the, just da- that- Dawson Knox is another guy who will be cheaper in, in, in
1: leagues where people are not focused on stacking. Yeah. The I bills. Think
2: so. Yeah. I, I think so too. I mean, there's just regression coming his way. It's hard to really buy into the target share. The, the
1: Dalton, the Dalton Schultz ADP is like literally the funniest thing of me to all time. It's like, he's the most, just a guy, guy of all time. Like, yeah. Yeah. But like, and he like, might, he might pay off, you know?
2: Here's the thing that like, like there's so many like arbitrage plays with tight end every year. Like you can generally find, like you take a middle round tight end and you can find a late round tight end. Who's going to be basically them. And this year, like TJ Hawkinson, right. Who's the late round tight end. That's TJ Hawkinson. It's Cole Komet. period. Like what, yeah. what is the, what, there's not that big of a difference between TJ Hawkinson and Cole Komet. Cole Komet's probably going to see a higher target share in his offense than TJ Hawkinson's going to see. The Lions are still going to be fairly run heavy, even though they're, I mean, they're going to try to at least. Like, I understand that the offenses are a little bit different. You're probably a little bit more bullish on the arm of Jared Goff than Justin Fields. I get all of that, but there's no competition for Cole Komet. He's going to see a higher target share. They're going to score points in a very similar way. Um. So like, you know, it's just, it's stuff like that where, you know, even like a Dawson Knox, Dawson Knox to Irv Smith, right? Like why is Irv Smith that much dramatically cheaper than a player like Dawson Knox when the offense could still be just as good. He's also not going to be, you know, like this top option on his team uh, with, with other guys ahead of him at wide receiver. Um, There's just, there's just a lot of arbitrage type plays. I think that you could, you could throw, or even Hunter Henry could be Dawson Knox, right? It's like the same like red zone target. He's going to score the majority of his points through, through touchdowns, all that kind of stuff. So that's kind of the way I approach it. If you're not going to get an elite tight end, um, and, and of the elite tight ends, I think I'm gravitating most towards Kyle Pitts. Um, but if you're if you're not getting the elite tight ends, you should just wait and wait and wait. I mean, there is quite like I I
1: obviously love Kelsey, um, but there there is quite an opportunity cost in taking a tight end in the first round, which was you, you, you were the you were the originator of this point uh back when <laughs> you used to hate Rob Gronkowski. But I I mean tell me Alberto doesn't have a path to
2: finish. Oh, I love like. Alberto. I mean Alberto's great too.
1: The the Greg Dolcich false flag operation is one of the is one of the biggest, you know, tricks that's ever been pulled on the fantasy football
2: public. The other thing, too, is that if you look at wide receivers historically and you associate breakout wide receivers to where their quarterbacks were drafted by ADP, and you look at breakouts versus non-breakouts, breakouts breakouts actually have technically lower average quarterback ADP than non-breakouts do. But at tight end, it's the opposite. Tight end breakouts generally come from uh offenses because, that have very good quarterbacks. And it's likely this is my logic. I'm sure that you're going to say this, but my logic is that because tight ends are not the first read, and good quarterbacks can get through their progressions and they can get to the tight end quicker through their progressions, and that's why they get a little bit more looks. But there's there, there's an insane, an insane hit rate when you can get a late, late round tight. And this is why I'm on Gerald Everett, because there's an insane hit rate when you can get a very late round tight end who's associated with a top five quarterback. Last year, we had Dawson Knox and Dalton Schultz, because at the time, Dak Prescott was a top five quarterback by ADP. This year, I think Gerald Everett sort of fits that mold and would be that guy. But yeah, Alberto, good quarterback, all that kind of stuff. I think that you know he's just depressed in ADP uh, because there's other weapons that people are giving higher target shares to. But at tight end, you can get a 15% target share and still be a tight end one. So what I was going to say was that the the threshold for
1: being a like a good scoring tight end is lower. So a larger percentage of your your points that matter can be driven by touchdowns. Yeah, like exactly. you don't like like Robert Tun, well, Tunyon scored eleven touchdowns two years ago or whatever yeah. on like fifty targets or something. But like that's yeah. fine, and and you would you would expect that to happen in an offense with a good quarterback as opposed to Jared Goff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, there we go. I mean, we just, we just went through, we just went through the positions. I mean, what is, what is your, uh, like, so someone's getting ready to head into their draft. What's like just kind of your general gist you give? like when you're, when you're, you're, you know, your buddies from high school text you and they're like, Hey dude, I got this draft. I, I do you get this? You might not get this. You might be so well-established. You just send
2: them to your website, but I still get this. No, I get it all the time. Yeah. And, and, and so I, I, I love when people come out of the woodwork. I haven't talked to them in like eight years and they hit me up and they're like, hey, I have this draft coming up. Can you help me? I was like, dude, I haven't talked to you since like like right after college. Why would I be texting you about this, this draft stuff? Um, but yeah, I mean, if I were to just say like a few things about drafts this year, I think that it's still, you know, I'm going to probably go in like my home leagues and stuff. And I'm doing this in baseball too. I go pretty heavy modified zero RB or anchor RB, whatever you want to call it um go big or go home at tight end um i'm mostly i will say this too i'm mostly going home though at tight end like i'm i'm more inclined to in like best ball drafts and stuff i'm more inclined to get three later round like irv smith types than i am getting like a kyle pitts with an irv smith or something like that but i still am getting some of the early round tight ends don't get me wrong um and then at wide receiver you know you want to get those guys that are around the dead zone area um they're not as like enticing this year it feels like 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 just objectively like Jalen Waddle and Deontay Johnson and stuff. Like they don't do it for me. Like some of the wide receivers that we've seen in that area before, but I got to trust the process a little bit um, and get those second se- year, two wide receivers in the middle rounds. They're usually really, really good hits. Um, and then at running back, make sure you're getting young guys in the dead zone, pass catchers uh, overall and target those RB ones over RB twos in the middle rounds. But if there's an RB two that you're targeting, Make sure that he has a running back teammate in the running back dead zone. Don't get RB twos who have RB one teammates that are going very, very early because they generally do not pan out very well. Perfect. Are you taking Taysom Hill as a tight end eligible no. player on underdog?
1: I'm not, I know that that's your thing. I know that you're like fifty percent exposed. I, let's not, see, let's let's see how much I'm at. I'm at up to this point. I, honestly. Not, i i I think I, i have
2: but i'm not i'm not aggressively like you are well i just want to get everyone's
1: opinion on this because everyone has such a different opinion on it you know like some people are like you're eating 17 zeros like you're a moron like some people see that it's 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 such a fantasy football rorschach and then other people are like i want to draft 150 teams and then lose in week 17 because i didn't have the foresight to take like a little bit of this guy who's
2: literally playing quarterback and is eligible at tight end like like I get it I get it trust me but I I I have not gone I mean I I have some I haven't like faded them but yeah I mean I'm not as like yeah I mean like you're obsessed i well i'm obsessed because i like
1: games more than i like football right like i like just at the end of the day i like i like games more than i like football and the potential for this guy to break the game structure i think it's it's fascinating to see people deal with it in real time yeah, yeah. Okay. um all right dude the draft guide late round what what are people what are people getting in season on on late round.com where can they buy the draft guide all that good stuff
2: yeah. So draft guide, uh, you can get that on late round.com. It's twenty four ninety nine after July 1st. Um, you know, it's, it's got, you know, a lot of draft guides out there nothing against anyone who's done draft guides. Cause they're very good, but a lot of the draft guides are very like player profile focused and stuff like that. So I took it a direction of more strategy um, and I still give player takes and I'm updating it weekly. So you'll get an email every week. If you buy it with an updated guide where I update like my players to avoid players, to target, dart throws my rankings that kind of stuff but there's a foundation there that you know i put a lot of work into um you know to, to give you a, a again a foundation of like how you should draft and why you're drafting the way you're drafting and stuff like that so that can be bought on late and then in season uh, i have my patreon where i'll have my rankings my in season rankings weekly rankings all that kind of stuff um and uh have a discord and stuff where i talk to patrons and answer questions and all that fun stuff too
1: all right everyone late the draft guide obviously do all the stuff listen to the podcast uh you guys I, I assume everyone listening to this knows knows all of the great jj zachary stuff hopefully we will be able to get you on at the swole cast sometime soon you can you know yeah. celebrate rob Murkowski's retirement and uh everyone we will uh we'll be back next week
0: across america bp supports more than two hundred seventy five thousand jobs to keep energy flowing jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio, and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh,